Hey, all right. Hey, who's going to win tonight? How many Falcons fans are in the house? ATL, anybody? Okay, just a couple. I see, I see a hand in the back. All right. Uh, how many Patriots fans in the house? Are the Patriots going to win? How many people are just hoping there's good commercials? Let me see your hand. Yeah, okay. All right. And good food. Good food. Uh, it's going to be a good time. We hope you have a great, great Super Bowl night. Uh, I'm, I, I do not claim to be a Falcons fan, but I did grow up in Atlanta, so we're going to represent Atlanta tonight. That's what we're hoping for. But uh, really excited because today uh, we're doing something a little bit different, and uh, we've done it before, but we're doing something a little bit different, and uh, it's, it really is one of the favorite, my favorite things that we do around here at the church. It's called Five for Five. Wendy's gives you four for four, but we're not Wendy's. We're taking it to a whole nother level. We're going five for five, all right? So uh, here's the way this works is we have five of our leaders, speakers, influencers here in the church who are going to be preaching today. You're gonna get five different sermons today and they're gonna give you their best five minutes, all right? They're gonna give you their best five minutes and here's the deal. Whenever you tell a preacher you only have five minutes you got to be real careful because five minutes turns into 15 really fast. You know I'm telling the truth, you know. And so uh, here's what we're going to do at this five for five is there's a countdown clock. When they start preaching, you're going to see this countdown clock. They've also got a countdown clock. When they get to 60 seconds, our lovely assistant Kaylee Fleming is going to hold up the sign that says 60 seconds left. When they get to 10 seconds, the other side of the sign says 10 seconds. She'll hold that up. They'll know that they've got 10 seconds left. And then when their time expires, they're going to hear this. All right? So they've got five minutes to preach like they are on fire to tell you whatever it is that, uh, that's on their heart. And so this is going to be great. And uh, one of the reasons, I like it for a lot of reasons. One of the reasons I love it is because uh, it's a chance for you to get to hear from people. You know, I'm up here speaking all the time. But it's a chance for you to get to hear from people who love you, who are serving you, sometimes working behind the scenes, and you don't even know just how much they care about you and how much the time they're spending with God and getting to share what they're hearing. So this, this is an exciting time. But what's going to make 5 for 5 great today is you, okay? So we're going to ask you to be helping them out today. Some of them, this is their first time they've ever preached before, all right? Now, I don't know if this is true, but they say that that the number one fear of people in life is public speaking. I don't know if that, anybody afraid of public speaking? Let me see your hand. All right. I heard Jerry Seinfeld say one time, the number one fear is public speaking. The number fear two is death. So he said that means people would rather be in the casket than given the eulogy. I don't know if that's true or not. But some people, this is their first time ever speaking today, uh, doing a sermon. And some of them, this is, a, this is you know, number 20 or 25, but you're going to make it great. You're going to help them out because we're, this is a crowd, particip crowd participation, full contact sport today, all right? And it's like the Super Bowl of preaching, okay? And so if they are preaching good, then you got to be cheering them on, you know? If they say something good, what we like to say around here is, that's good. So why don't we practice that one time? Just say, that's good. That's good. So if they say something good, and I've already heard it in the first service, they say a lot of things good then you're just going to say, like, that's good. You know, you can get a little black gospel with it if you want to. You know, come on, say that. Preach it. Come on, if you want to do some of that. You know, if they say something funny, laugh. If you know it's a joke but it wasn't funny, laugh anyway, okay? If they're struggling, you need to encourage them. If they're doing good, you need to encourage them, all right? And so you're going to help them out today, and it's going to be an incredible time. 
And uh, I know for a fact that God's going to use something that they're saying today to speak to you. So it's going to be good. So you guys ready? You guys ready for number one? All right. So our first speaker today, I'm excited if you get to hear from Daniel Franklin. Daniel's one of my closest friends, somebody who is such a voice of encouragement in my life, always speaking me up. I hope you have a friend in your life that's always speaking you up and not bringing you you down. And so will you do me a favor? Put your hands together for Daniel Franklin. How many people love our hip-hop pastor? (laughs) Lifting you up, baby. All right, so I'm a dad of four. I'm really good at what I do for a living in sales. Uh, And Jamie and I decided that we're going to start flipping houses. So we, uh, we bought a house. We're flipping a house. Go ahead and put that picture up. And how many people know there's something beautiful about ripping something apart and rebuilding it up? Um, and so we started ripping it apart, and we ran into that. It's not what it's supposed to look like, by the way, okay? If your house is wired like that, I encourage you to call a professional. Um, so I'm not an electrician. We called a buddy. He came over there, and, you know, he wasn't freaked out at all. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we can fix that. And so the process of this was, is man, we just started disconnecting everything, right? When it looks like that, sometimes the, the kitchen light turns on the bathroom light, and sometimes you plug something into the microwave and you hear something in the bedroom. So it's not supposed to look like that, right? It, it kind of works, but it kind of doesn't work. Um, and I feel like that's probably how a lot of our lives are. Like a lot of stuff kind of works. And I will tell you this, that God did not intend for your life to kind of work, He intended you to have an abundant, good, fulfilled life. So the process of this was we just disconnected everything. And there's something powerful about concentration and isolation on one area of your life. And so we disconnected, I don't know, part of the kitchen. And then all of a sudden, like, when you turn on the kitchen light, the fan comes on. It's amazing how that works. And I challenge you today, what I want to leave with you today is that Man, we got we to have one win in our life, right? At least one. God tells me, well, first of all, where's Rob McGuffey? I tried to use him in the first service, but he wasn't. Hey, Rob. Hey, bud. Thanks. Good to see you. Rob knows this, too, because Rob is also a flipper. Uh, not like, like poor decision flip-flopping, but kind of like flips houses, that kind of thing. Um, you got to have the tools, right? And God has given us an entire book of tools, the Bible, The scriptures, man, those aren't just words. I'm telling you, those are things that we need to be speaking daily in our lives. And so I have four or five of scriptures in my life that when I feel like life is just kind of looking like that up there, that I got to remind myself that the the very power of life and death are in our tongue, right? And so let's say right now you're going to connect to your marriage circuit, right? And your wife is a little bit of a joker. Your husband's a little bit of a bum. Let me tell you what, you need to speak life over that. I'm dead serious. In, in speaking life, is going to do a lot more than you telling him what kind of bum he is. I'm telling you, that's true. Jamie used to tell me I was a bum all the time, and that's not true. I love you. I'm just playing. Uh, maybe it's finances. Let me tell you what. Making financial decisions, it's important, right? If you don't have the money, don't spend it. That'll preach. That'll preach all day long. Let me tell you what. If you don't have the money, right, don't go out to eat. Right? Yeah. Woo! I'm bringing thunder today, and that's the easy stuff. It's important to use the tools that God has given us. 
So what we've done, what we did up there, and you ought to see it now. Like it looks like an electrical box is supposed to look. So we isolated one one uh, one circuit, fixed it. Isolated another circuit, fixed it. And all of a sudden, like it became less intimidating, right? And and you get one win in life, and, and maybe it is your marriage. All of a sudden, the financial thing doesn't look so big anymore. Or maybe all of a sudden, addiction doesn't look so big anymore because God's got this wind behind your sails that's pushing you along the way. And the more we pursue him, right, the easy, life just makes a little bit more sense. The problem is, man, that, that's intimidating, right? You don't even know where to start. I'm okay with you starting with low-hanging fruit. I'm okay with you starting with something that looks like an easy win. Baby, if your, marriage is, if your marriage is bad, give me a kiss on the cheek. Set up a date night. Do something that's going to provoke something else to change, right? God loves effort. And I'm not saying you can earn salvation. I'm not saying anything like that. But I promise you that God will respond when you start moving your feet forward. God will respond when you start blessing your husband or you encourage your wife or pick up some flowers on the way home or you tell her, baby, baby, we ain't got, we can't, we can't go out to eat and I don't want to be the bad guy, but I'm being a leader right now. It's time for the men of our church, the men in my circle to be leaders of their family, huh? To lead your families, to pray with your wife, to pray with your children. God wants you to win. In John 10, 10, he tells us he wants us to have an abundant life. An abundant life, and a life that is fulfilled and full, and, and a life that is generous. And I have seven seconds left. And let me tell you what. God did not create you to fail. God created you to win. Yeah. Yeah. Great job. Great job. I love it. How many people you could use a win in life right now? Let me see your hand. You could use a win. Yeah, I could use a win. And so, hey, thank you for that, Daniel. God wants to give us a win. He didn't create us to fail. Are you guys ready for number two? All right, all right, all right. I'm excited about number two because number two is Kristen Monahan. Kristen serves as the volunteer director, volunteer coordinator for Hope City Church. And, uh, and, and today is a really a big day and a cool day because... Kristen had mentioned last year to a group of us that one of her dreams, one of her goals in life was to preach a sermon in front of a church congregation. And so when I knew we were doing five for five, I called her up and I said, I can make your dreams come true. (laughs) And she's like, I'm in, let's do this. And so technically this is her second sermon, but this is her first sermon today. Will you do me a favor and and welcome Kristen Monahan? Hey. Okay, please be kind to me. This is new. I'm excited. Uh, First of all, thank you, Pastor Jason, for giving me this opportunity. Um, So when Jason asked me if I wanted to speak, I said, yeah, is there a certain topic that I need to stick with or, you know, a theme? And uh, he said, no, just whatever God has put on your heart. And so today I am going to talk to you about pain and suffering. (laughs) You're so excited. I know. (laughs) So. I don't know what you know about the Apostle Paul, but the dude was no stranger to pain and suffering. In fact, in the Bible, there is a list of all the ways that Paul was tortured. Uh, Some of them were, you know, he was beaten. He was stoned. He was whipped with no nae-nae. 
He, <laughs> thank you, Haley. My daughter gave me that joke. <laughs> uh, and he was imprisoned for many years. And uh, this was because he was preaching the gospel in a time when being a Christian was a big no-no. What makes him amazing is that this didn't stop him. He didn't get beat up and was like, mm, I'm out, can't do this. No, he would get beat up and thrown out, turn around and go right back in. What? But what makes this man extraordinary is that in the midst of being in prison, black and blue and bruised, he writes in Philippians 4.4 to his church friends, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say it, rejoice. If I had a friend who wrote me a letter in the exact same situation, eh, there's a part of me they'd be like, oh, somebody's off their meds again. Because that makes no sense. How can you be joyful when you're being persecuted? Now, I don't know what you believe about pain and suffering. I don't know what your theology is. Do you believe that pain and suffering is completely random? Do you believe that pain and suffering is because God is mad at you and he wants to punish you? I don't know, but I do know that Paul was able to be joyful because Paul knew that his pain had a purpose. His pain was not random. His pain was not because God was mad at him. No, it's because there was a purpose to his pain. Now, God uses your pain to put you in places you would not normally be, around people that you would not normally know. See, Paul ministered to prison inmates not because he had a prison ministry and because he came every Tuesday at 3.30 and spoke to them. No, homeboy was in prison, shackled next to all the other inmates. And can I tell you, he changed the lives of everyone in that prison. He changed the lives of the jailer and the jailer's family. They all got saved because he was there. God had put him in that horrible place. God is going to use your pain to put you in a mission field. You would not otherwise be in those situations, and you would not otherwise know those people or be around those people if you weren't in this situation. But that is where God wants you, exactly where he wants you to minister to these people who would not otherwise hear the gospel and hear it from your story. The other thing that I believe that God does is that when we are saved we kind of become this, we're this shapeless rock. And he uses our pain and our suffering to make us better. He carves out our selfishness. And he carves out our judgmental nature. And he curves out, he gives us empathy. And he gives us patience. And he gives us selflessness. All through this pain that he's put us through. We all go through pain. Everyone who walked through these doors today has had pain, and you will have pain. So just know that God is using it to make you better. He's using it to put you in a mission field to save lives. And if you're in that time right now, just ask God to show you what it is he's doing in your life. Show me where my mission field is. Show me how you're making me better. And you will be able to say, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Thank you. Come on. That's what I'm talking about. So good. I don't know what you heard. Everybody hears it a little different way, but I tell you what I heard is that God uses your pain to put you in a place of ministry. That God uses your pain to put you in a place of ministry. That's so good. All right, you guys ready for number three? Is this good? Are you liking this so far? Is this good? Yeah, I'm loving it. All right, so uh, number three, our speaker number three today is Pastor Kim Greenwood. And uh, yeah, we love Pastor Kim. And uh, you may not be as familiar with Pastor Kim if you don't have a child who's elementary age. Maybe you're relatively new to the church and you don't have a child who's elementary age, but she oversees our elementary ministry here at our church. And and uh, I don't know, one of the reasons I love for you to get to hear her heart is because she's not just speaking words today. Like, she really is sharing heart because I don't know of a family uh, like Kim and Greg Greenwood who love Hope City Church. I don't know of anybody who loves it more than they do, who works harder than they do, who serves it more than they do. And so today, you're not just hearing words. You're hearing the heart of somebody who loves you. So will you do me a favor and welcome Kim Greenwood. <laughs> All right, so I recently saw the movie Arrival, and if you've avoided it because it's like an alien sci-fi movie, you should really give it a go because it is about so much more than that. It's about learning language and communication and how we communicate and what we communicate. So there's a scene in the movie where the two characters are actually talking about how language is learned. So Amy Adams plays Louise, who is a language expert, and Jeremy Renner plays Ian, who is a physicist. He's the scientist. And he is geeking out over this idea of what's called immersion theory about language. Now, most of the time when we think about language, we think about taking a class or listening to the audio thing and repeating the words back. But immersion theory is when you immerse yourself in a culture and you are forced to learn the language very rapidly. So quickly that within four or six weeks time, your brain actually rewires to the language. And so in this movie, Ian and Louise are immersed in the alien language, day in, day out. So he asks her this question. He goes, are you dreaming in the alien language? She doesn't answer, but as the viewer, we are seeing the story from her perspective. We know the answer is yes. She is actually dreaming in the alien language. Now, this took me back to this past December. I was talking to Jonathan Hill. Jonathan Hill is the campus pastor at Kasha Shalom Orphanage in Guatemala, Jonathan speaks fluent Spanish, and the way he learned to do that was intentionally immersing himself in cultures and forcing to learn the language. And so we actually had this conversation. I was like, Jonathan, when you were learning language, did you dream in Spanish? He was like, oh, yeah, I dream in Spanish all the time. And it made me think, I was like, oh, my gosh. When I think about God's Word, and I'm a studier. I don't know about you, but when I study God's Word, I, like, put time in for it. I try to memorize it. I meditate on it. I ask some questions. And there's nothing wrong with that. The more time you spend, the better. But what if we thought about God's word as God's language? And how much more vibrant would our experience be if we immersed ourselves in God's language? In Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 20, Moses says this to the Israelites. This is how he puts it. So commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these words of mine, God's words. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you are at home, when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. 
Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Moses is basically saying, immerse yourself in the language of God. And here's what it looks like. Here's the, here's the perspective for you and me. That means putting yourself into a community where his language is being spoken. Playing his word in song is background music to your everyday life. It means participating in experiences where his language is expressed as serving. But this could still be a list of things you could check off. And the Israelites made that mistake. You see, when you talk about immersion, rewiring your brain to God's language, you are talking about an action step, a leap, an intensity that only needs a short period of time to reform. See, Paul in uh, Romans 12.1, this is how he put it. He blows this idea up even bigger. He says, and so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has done for you. Let that be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. I love what the message says. It puts it this way. Take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. All of the things you are doing on a daily basis, offer it as a living sacrifice. Strategically aware of purpose. Immersion isn't just physically surrounding yourself with God's word. It is actively deciding to hand it all over, to surrender it all. Later on in 12.2, Paul says this. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, rewiring your brain. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. You see, God will rewire your brain through immersing yourself in his language to a point where you will carry his language within you, inside of you. You can fully understand his language and his will for you. And then you can go anywhere. You can be anywhere. You can do anything that he calls you to do. Surround your daily life. Immerse yourself in the language of God and surrender it to him. Ian and Louise, our characters, Jonathan Hill, they immersed themselves in a language culture and surrendered to it. And it was uncomfortable and it was difficult and they had to sacrifice. But it was also beautiful and vibrant and life-changing. Immerse yourself in the language of God and get ready to understand his language. Get ready to see what he sees and dream his dreams. Yeah! Come on. So good. And I just happened to know that her husband's back there working the air horn, so he gave a little grace right there. He gave a little grace right there. But that was so good. Hey, listen. Don't just read the Bible. Don't just go to church. Learn God's language. Learn God's language. That's so, that's so good. All right, uh, number four. You guys ready for number four? What's up? All right, so um, number four is, uh, I just lost my train of thought real quick. Number four is Pastor John Hendrickson, and uh, excited for you to get to hear from, uh, from Pastor John for a lot of reasons, but the main reason is that uh, those of us on staff like, we get to hear Pastor John drop, like, truth bombs all the time. And, but because he's a little bit more introverted or plays a role a little bit more behind the scenes, you don't get to hear it as much. And, uh, and so have you ever been in one of those meetings or been in a room with somebody that doesn't say anything? And then after everybody has said everything, like, 14 times, that person speaks up. And everybody's like, oh, why didn't you just say that, like, an hour ago? That's the smartest thing that's been said all day. That's Pastor John, Okay. And so I'm excited if you get to hear from him today. Will you put your hands together and welcome Pastor John Hendrickson. Good morning. 
Well, if you are a football fan, you may know who Russell Wilson is. Russell Wilson is an NFL quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. In 2012, Russell was picked 12th in the third round of the draft and 75th overall, which was way behind other well-known players and not really that great. Um, Russell was considered to be too short at 5 feet 11 inches tall, which I would actually kill to be 5 feet 11 inches tall. I'm vertically challenged. Um, but he was considered to be too short to succeed in the NFL. So that same season, Russell went on to tie Peyton Manning's record for most passing touchdowns by a rookie. He was named the Pepsi NFL Rookie of the Year. And in 2013, he led the Seahawks to their first ever Super Bowl victory. In 2014, he led them to a second Super Bowl. Wilson has won more games than any other NFL quarterback in his first four seasons, and he's currently the second highest rated NFL passer of all time behind Aaron Rodgers. I love stories like this because I am a sucker for an underdog. And Russell was a total underdog coming into the NFL, but he ended up dominating. And we see this storyline over and over again as we read through the Bible. In fact, Jesus was God's finest example of using the least likely to accomplish his plans and his purposes. Jesus had nothing but the heart of God. He wasn't uh, the shining, perfect example of a king. People were drawn to Jesus because they were hungry for truth. And in our culture, this, this kind of goes against the grain. It doesn't make sense to us. It's easy to judge a book by its cover, but that's not how God works at all. Isaiah 55, 8 says, My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. We see this play out um, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 16. Uh, David was also considered to be too small, too young to succeed. And there was a man named Samuel who was a priest, and God sent him to Bethlehem to meet with Jesse. And the purpose of this visit was to anoint one of Jesse's sons as the future king. And when David, or when Jesse and Samuel showed up, there were only seven brothers there, but David was left to tend to the sheep. See, Jesse didn't even bring his youngest son because he didn't even consider that he would be an option. And so Samuel takes a look at the lineup and he sees Eliab, the first son, who was well-built, he was tall, and, and he looked like a king. And Samuel thinks, surely this is God's anointed. But God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So all seven brothers pass by Samuel. And in that moment, he looks at Jesse and says, none of these men are God's chosen one. He says, do you have any other sons? Is there anyone else? And so Jesse runs out, he goes and he gets David from the field. He brings him in and in that moment, God says, rise and anoint him, this is the one. Rise and anoint him, this is the one. And David was a total underdog. He wasn't, uh, he didn't fit the mold of a king. You know, he was still just a kid. But God said, this is the guy that I'm gonna use. And David, he goes on to defeat Goliath, the giant that put fear into the entire Israelite army. He was king of Judah, he was king of Israel. He brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and established it as the new capital city. He ended up being one of the most important figures in all of Jewish history. And David wasn't perfect, he made a lot of mistakes, 
He had a lot of fails, but God had favor on him. God set him up to do some pretty amazing things. So maybe this morning you can relate with David. Maybe you sell yourself short. Maybe you feel like no one else is rooting for you and you feel like an underdog. Well, God tells us that my grace is all you need and my power works best in weakness. And what he's saying should actually be a huge weight off of our shoulders. My power works best in weakness. He's saying that we don't have to be impressive. We don't have to have it all together. We don't have to look like the king. God still wants to use us. He still has great plans for us. And in fact, God actually uses the least likely to accomplish his plans to make one thing clear, that it's God who is at work and no one else. So let's just have confidence and trust in him this morning. You're not done yet. Your story isn't over. God is going to use you because God loves an underdog. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Why don't you turn to the person you're sitting beside right now, just look at him and say, I'm God's number one draft pick. Come on, just tell him, I'm God's number one draft pick. You may not think I'm great, but he does. That's so good. That's so good. All right, we got one more to go. And I'm really excited about number five because she's my favorite of all the five. I like all four, all the other four, but I love number five. I'm man enough to say she's the best preacher in the house. And, uh, and you guys, every time she speaks, you're like, she needs to speak more. And so uh, we'll figure out a way to work that out. But uh, I am, I'm so excited if you get to hear from Pastor Andrea. I just call her Andrea Baby. And uh, I love her, and I love what she has to share with you today. So will you do me a favor? Put your hands together and welcome Andrea Isaacs. This time last year, exactly this time last year, I was pregnant with our fourth kid. I was teaching full-time at Bullet East High School. I was raising three other kids. I was a pastor's wife trying to just be a decent human being. And the reality was I was feeling like a failure in all of those areas. And so Jason and I started to have the conversation uh, about what it might look like for me to quit my job at the end of the school year. And after much deliberation, we kind of came to that conclusion. And I knew that it would bring a lot of change, but I really started to get a sense that not only would it be a good choice for our family, but maybe, just maybe, it was exactly what God was orchestrating all along. And around that same time, Sadie and I were uh, getting ready to do one of her nightly devotions. And that story on that particular night just happened to be Genesis 12. And it's a chapter where God speaks to a guy named Abram, and he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go where I will show you. And as I finish the story, but before we get to the discussion questions, Sadie just kind of interrupts, and she says, Mom, if you quit your job, does that mean that I will have to change schools? Whoa, I was caught right in that moment. Do your kids ever do that to you? where you're not quite ready to unfold all of the implications and effects of what your decisions might mean for them. And I, I knew that, that I had a choice, that I could either lean into that discomfort and be honest with her, or I could back down. 
So I, I chose to, to be truthful and, and respond, yes, baby, it probably does mean that you'll have to change schools. And I began to talk to her about how I felt a lot like Abram, that God was asking me to move and be stretched a little bit and come outside of my comfort zone, words that probably didn't make a whole lot of sense to a seven-year-old. But as often happens, you know, we assume that our kids aren't ready for all of the things that are uh, very adult that's going on around them. She was putting the pieces together. And she started crying. And I understood that emotion. I understood that fear. And so we started to answer and talk through some of the questions. And that night I laid in her bed and I let her cry. And I remember kind of praying in my mind and asking God to help me, thinking, Lord, show me how to trust you and help me model that for my kids. God, I don't know what to say right now, but I need you in this moment to help me. But the reality of where I was at was that I wanted to back down. Have you ever felt that way? You want to take a step back and say, no, 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 just never mind. I, I, I want to renege. It, we don't have to change. You don't have to leave your school. I, I made a mistake, but I didn't. I didn't back down. Instead of telling her news that maybe she wanted to hear, I tried to explain to her about a joyous opportunity to obey God. In that moment, I was able to say to my seven-year-old, you know, life with Jesus is a great adventure. And while I might not know the outcome, I know who holds the outcome. You know, God said to Abram, leave first. And then he said, I will show you. And I think that as believers, we sometimes forget that. We forget that we're called to a life of action first. And that we're supposed to believe and trust that God will show us. That night had a lot of huge implications for both of us. But a few of the takeaways for us, for her specifically, was that the Bible is so relevant. It's exactly where we are and where we live our lives every single day. She got to see in that moment how this Bible hero parallels her own life. For me, the takeaway that night was that my decisions affect my kids and my grandkids and my great-grandkids, just like Abram, God said, if you will obey, I will bless generations to come. And I think sometimes we get so worried about playing it safe and thinking that the best choice for our kids is to keep them comfortable right now, and we end up depriving what God is trying to do for them tomorrow and the day after that and the generation after that and the generation after that. But I am here to tell you today that God has a great adventure planned for you. So much more than you might be expecting. So it's time to pack your bags and move. Yeah. Go ahead and stand up with me if you would this morning. Stand up with me. Did you enjoy this? Was it great? So good. Let me see if I can remember all five of the lessons that hopefully you heard today and learned today. Daniel led off, and Daniel wanted you to know that God didn't create you to fail, right. that he wants you to experience some wins in your life. So we're going to be praying, believing, expecting for a win in our lives. And then uh, Kristen taught us that sometimes God uses our pain to place us 
in a place of ministry and a mission field. And then Pastor Kim encouraged us not just to read the Bible or not just to attend church, but to learn God's language. He wants to transform everything about us. Pastor John reminded us that God loves to use underdogs. And then Andrea brought us home by reminding you not to play it safe, but to step out in faith, to trust God that he's calling you and leading you. And if you'll head in that direction, then he'll show you where to go. But let's don't play it. Let's don't play it safe. Here's what I know about the word of God is that there's something for everybody in the room today. And all five may not have, you know, been right where you are, but, I, but, I'm, but there was a statement. There was a point. There was something. And my prayer today is that God would use something that you heard to to put a thought in your mind, to put a thought in your heart, a seed in your heart, to, to, to push you, to challenge you, to stretch you a little bit because stretching is where we grow. Stretching is where we grow. And so would you do me a favor? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment? 